Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you for joining our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Psalms contains incredible truths about God and wisdom for life. Psalms helps us learn how to pray. It teaches us to worship through all the different seasons and emotions of life and how to walk with God daily. We hope these teachings help orient your life to love and worship Christ. Thanks for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you, Ben. Good morning. My name is Zach Tharp. I serve as the outreach pastor here at Redeemer. Uh, My family and I have been here for, I think today is exactly five months. We've been here for five months today, and we are really grateful to be here a little bit about me and about my family. So I grew up outside of Abilene in a small town, uh, Hawley, Hawley, Texas, right outside of Abilene. And uh, grew up there and then went to college at East Texas Baptist University uh, in Marshall in East Texas. And I was there for about two and a half years. And then early one morning in December of 2003, uh, a buddy of mine and I were up late, uh, late at night slash early in the morning, about three, four o'clock in the morning, watching the news. And it's when they caught Saddam Hussein. They come out and they say, we got him. And my buddy looked at me, and we'd been in college about two and a half years, and he said, let's join the Marines. And I said, let's do it. And so, like ignorant college people do, we stayed up the rest of the night slash early morning and waited until about 9 a.m. and then went to the mall in Marshall. And you know, sometimes in the mall, they'll have those recruiting blocks there, the Marine office, Air Force, Navy, Army, things like that. And so we were fired up. We wanted to join the Marines. We go there. The mall's open. All these offices are open. We go into the Marine office, and there's nobody there. It's just empty. So I looked at my buddy, and I said, let's join the Army. So we go next door over to the Army office, and there was nobody there. And he looked at me, and he said, Zach, let's join the Air Force. And I said, I've thought about the Air Force about 10 seconds. Let's do it. So we get to the Air Force office. There was nobody in there. And finally, I looked at my buddy Jason, and I said, let's join the Navy. By the way, Jason, who I'm telling the story about where we went together, the guy who preached last week, Jordan Elder, the guy in the story is Jordan Elder's older brother, Jason Elder. So I've known Jason and Jordan for about 20 years now. And so I said, let's join the Navy. We go in there, and there's lots of people, about 15, 20 people. There's recruiters, people signing up. And so I joined the Navy, and I signed up thinking I'm going to get on a ship, travel the world, see great and amazing things, and for sure a ship, right? Navy and ships. Well, I did four years in the Navy, and I never saw a ship. They sent me to Keflavik, Iceland, and from Keflavik, Iceland, after about two and a half years, I went to Mayport, Florida, uh, near Jacksonville, and and, uh, finished out my time in the Navy there. From then, I got out of the Navy in 2007, moved to Arlington, Texas, in the DFW area, and began going to a broadcasting school. And I worked in radio for a number of years and did play-by-play color commentary for high schools and colleges in Texas, worked as a news director and sports director in Carthage in East Texas at a small radio station. So radio was kind of my dream. And along the way, I meet Kimbra. We met in 2009 uh, in May, and then we got married in September of 2009. So we wanted an, I wanted an easy anniversary. I think maybe both of us did. And so our anniversary is 9-9-09. We've got two beautiful daughters. Isla Hope is 11, and Glory, who we dedicated last week, she is two years old. And so that's a little bit about our family. And I was doing this radio thing, 
And that was my dream, my hopes, my dreams. My goal was to be on sports radio in Dallas someday, and if Brad Sham ever retires, become the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. That was my goal. I love radio, love sports, love sports broadcasting. But things weren't really working out. Uh, early on in our marriage, I was doing radio and, and still uh, waiting tables part-time. That was always kind of a, a bit of my job history. And we just couldn't make ends meet. I don't know if you've been there, but just financially, things just really weren't working out. And for the first time in my life, I remember thinking that I had never prayed for God's direction in my life as far as a career was concerned. And so I just began to pray, God, if you have something else for me, if you want me to do something else, I'll do whatever it is. And so it was at this time, about 2011, we moved in with Kimber's parents. They live in the Brownwood area uh, in a small town, Bangs, and Howard Payne University is right down the road in Brownwood, about 10 miles away. And we moved in, and I was still doing radio, still waiting tables, but with an eye towards just waiting for God. God, I'm just doing this to kind of provide for my family right now, but what do you have for us ultimately? And over the course of a year, we just prayed that. God, would you show us what you want us to do? Would you open the doors that you want open? And God, would you shut the doors that we, that we should not walk through? We just waited for God, and we prayed, and we studied Scripture together, but it was a season of waiting. And I'm wondering if you have ever been in a season of waiting like that. So about a year after that, a local church was looking for a youth minister. This was 2012 at this point now, and we began to pray if that's what God had for us. Was God calling us into ministry? So we visited with our family and friends. You know, in Proverbs, it talks about there being wisdom and an abundance of counselors. And our family and friends were really affirming and, and confirming of this message that we sense from the Lord. And so that's what brought us into ministry back in 2012. And then nine years later, here we are today. But it was a season of waiting. And maybe you're here today and you're going through a similar season of waiting. Or maybe you're waiting on something else. But we've all been through a time like that. Maybe it's something with your career. Maybe it's something with work. You know, Midland, I've noticed, is a very transient area. People move in and they move out. You may be here a couple years. It may be a little longer. But because of the nature of the oil field, things like that, people come and go with regularity. And so maybe you just got here and now you're wondering, you've been looking for a church maybe to fit into. Lord, where do you want our family to go to church? Where can we serve? Where can we get involved? That can be kind of an anxious season. Or maybe you're preparing for work to send you away at some point. That, that can produce some anxiety in us. Maybe you're waiting. You know, maybe you're like me a number of years ago. You're waiting for God to bring you a spouse. Amen? That was me a number of years ago, waiting for God to bring you a husband, for God to bring you a wife. And you're waiting. What do we do while we wait? Or maybe you're waiting for God to add on to your family. Maybe for a child. Maybe for another child, and maybe you're trying to do this through a pregnancy of your own, or maybe it's going to be foster care and adoption. You're praying about that. So we've all been in a season of waiting, and what I want us to look at today is Psalm 40 and see what God's Word has to say to us today about what we do while we wait and how we can wait well for God to show up as we wait for His deliverance and His provision. Psalm 40, we'll read the first 10 verses. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. 
You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Today I want to share with you four biblical truths that we see here in the scripture that describe a time of waiting and how we are to wait in those seasons that we're in. Number one, I want to share with you this. We must cry out to God for help when we are in trouble or when we are anxious. We see this in the first four verses. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Number one, the biblical truth we see and hear from Scripture is that when we are in trouble, when we are waiting, when we are anxious, is that we should, rather as followers of Jesus, we must cry out to God in those times. David, in the Hebrew, the original language the psalm was written in, it really more translates something like this. In the waiting, I waited. And this double use of the term, it, it indicates that David waited patiently. He waited perseveringly, waiting for God to do what only he could whenever God chose to hear him and to answer. But he waited patiently. David knew who to cry out to, didn't he? Whether he was in trouble, whether this was sin of his own doing, whether it was circumstances maybe like where Saul is chasing him and he's hiding in caves, David knew where his help came from. It came from, the, came from God. He cried out to the only one who could really help him. How many of y'all in here have maybe a two-year-old, a three-year-old, or at one point you did? You've had, you've had small children, two, three years old, maybe a toddler. Our oldest, Isla Hope, she's here, and when she was about two or three years old, she liked to play a game called Will I Fit In There? Now, she didn't name this game, I did, but she would find these small, tight places, see if she could fit in there, and then ultimately, when she could not, here's what I would hear, Dad, stuck. That's especially what I remember about when she got into this basket uh, as you're looking on your left, I was in the kitchen, and we, this is when we were living with Kimber's parents, and I just remember her crying out for help, Dad, stuck. And then also you can see she made her way into the dog crate. She knew who to cry out to for help. And like a good father, like a good parent would, first I took a picture, because I knew this would be a sermon illustration someday, 10 years later, and then I helped her. I got her out of there. Now, there were two miniature schnauzers in the house, Rudy and Amos, but you'll notice she didn't call out to them for help. They couldn't have helped her, right? Rudy, I'm stuck. What's Rudy going to do? Probably just bark. That's what he does. That's what he did. And so she knew who to call out to. Likely, your kids have gotten themselves in some situations where they needed mom or dad, and they cried out for help. They, they didn't cry out to the pet. They cried out to the person, the one who could help them, who could save them. 
But how often do we, even as believers, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, how often do we go to someone or something that can't actually help us when we're in trouble? How often do we turn to someone and we expect them, we might get advice from them, they might be a good listening ear, but ultimately a person isn't going to rescue you from these situations you find yourself in, these times of trouble, these seasons of waiting. It's good for us to turn to God. Now maybe you turn to something you know that you shouldn't, these times of of anxiousness and waiting and trouble. Maybe it has produced in you some sinful patterns and and you turn to something like alcohol or or drugs or pills. It could be something for you, some sort of addiction. It's now become of addiction because of the pattern you found yourself in. And you turn to these things that you know are not good for you. You think maybe they'll help. And as you examine and look back, if we were to honestly ask ourselves, how is that working out for us? We know that it's not working. I would implore you today, whatever you are going through, whatever season of life you're in, whatever you are waiting on, cry out to God. He is the one who can rescue, and he is the one who can save. He is the one who can turn the circumstances around. Now, why? Why should we cry out to God? We see that we should. This is what David does. He cries out to God. Our second biblical truth, why? Why do we cry out to God? Number two is this. God hears us when we cry out to him, and he can turn our situation around. God hears us when we cry out to him, and he alone can turn our situation around. We see this from Scripture because David says this. Notice here in the Scripture what David's part is in saving himself and what God's part is. We can go right to it, and we see David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. That means he cried out to him. So whatever circumstance he's in, he cries out to God, and then he's patiently waiting for the Lord, not waiting for someone else, not waiting for it to change, not waiting on himself to be good enough or smart enough or enough people to like him, affirm himself, boost his self-esteem, believe in himself enough. No, he's waiting on God. He knew who to cry out to, and God delivered him. We should go to God with our troubles and anxieties because he cares for us, He hears us when we call on him, and he can turn things around. I've seen this in my own life. I showed you a picture of Isla Hope, our oldest, a a few minutes ago, and I think now what you'll see is a picture of glory. we got a picture of glory. This is our youngest. She's two and a half now. She was dedicated here at the church last week, and she was born March 1st of 2019, and when... Kimbra became pregnant with glory. It was our hope and desire, our plan. You ever make plans yourself and God does something else? It was our plan and hope that Kim, so we were in South Texas at the time. Uh, I was pastor at First Baptist Church of Alice, which is about 45 minutes west of Corpus. And Kimbra wanted to have the baby, have glory at a birthing center. So kind of one of those all natural type places, scared the you-know-what out of me, and I was terrified of it, but she's got way more faith than I do, and she's way stronger than I am, so she wanted to have this baby without medicine, without an epidural. We're going to sit in this big fancy hot tub. It's going to be great. There's going to be music. The lights are going to be low. It's going to be awesome. That was our plan. Well, when you get to a certain week uh, of, of your pregnancy, if you haven't had the baby yet, you've got to go to a hospital. That's the, that's the law. And so we got to about 41 weeks and six days, I think. And so then you go to a hospital. And did like what many of you have done or maybe have done recently or will in the future, they induce labor. They try to kick things into gear to bring that baby out. 
So we check in on a Tuesday. This is the end of February. And they start the induction process. And it's going pretty slow. Not abnormal for the first day or so, but nothing's really happening. Well, then we go to Wednesday. And all Wednesday morning and all Wednesday night, not a whole lot of movement, nothing really happening, nothing going. We get to the early hours of Thursday morning of March 1st, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's a little bit of movement, and Kimbra is able to push, and the baby, but the baby's not coming. Glory is not coming. And in this time, I was, you know, I was in the room, and a lot of doctors and nurses and medical personnel started making their way into the room. And there was, Kimber was losing a lot of blood. And I didn't, it was a lot to me, but I trusted the doctors and the nurses, the medical personnel who were there. I trusted them. They knew what they were doing. And while it was scary for me, I trusted them, but I was nervous. And the baby wasn't coming and there was a lot of blood loss. And at one point they said, we've got to do, we've got to get the baby out as fast as we can. We've got to do an emergency C-section. And so they take Kimber downstairs and I went down there with her. And at 8.05 that morning on Thursday, they took Glory out. That's when she was born. And they took her up to the nursery. And they told me to go to the nursery also. And they said, if everything goes well, we'll come and get you in about 20 or 30 minutes and bring you back down to your wife. So I'm there for 20 minutes. And then 30 minutes go by. And then 45 minutes go by. And then another hour and then about an hour and 15 minutes, and then the head doctor came in to the nursery where I was holding Glory, and she said, I need to talk to you, but it can't be in here. And so I put Glory down, and I followed this doctor out of the nursery, down a long, empty hallway, and she took me into a dark, empty room, and she said, I've never had to leave a surgery or a procedure during the middle of it to update a family member, but that's how serious this is. She said, your wife has lost a lot of blood. We don't know where it's coming from, and we don't know how to stop it. She said, when these things happen, there is a checklist of things that we do, that we go through to help. And she said, with Kimbra, we exhausted that list and went through it really quick, and now we're just waiting. We don't know what to do. They had sent some images to radiology. They were waiting for something there, but it didn't look good. And at that moment, I really felt like God was going to take Kimber that day. I thought that she was going to die. And so the doctor goes back, and I went back to the nursery, and I was holding glory. I was praying, and I was just praying for God to save her, but then I just came, you know, just overwhelmed with emotion, and I put glory down, and I went back to our hospital room, and I just got down on my hands and knees, and I just started praying, God, please save her. When I didn't know what else to pray, I just kept praying, God, please save her. And in between that, I was calling people and texting people, family and friends, keeping our church updated so they were praying for And 30 minutes went by and 45 and another hour. And about another hour and a half, another doctor came in. And the same thing, I was expecting them to tell me that Kimber didn't make it. And at that time, my mom, who is here today, my parents are here, Doug and Carol, my mom was on the way to the hospital with Isla Hope. They didn't know exactly what all was going on at that point. And I was thinking, my oldest daughter's about to be here And I'm probably going to have to tell her that she does have a new sister, but that her mom passed away. How do you do that? How do you deliver that news? The doctor comes in, and she was just white, looked like she'd seen a ghost, looked like a ghost herself. She walks in, and she said, Kimber's alive. She said, we don't know what happened. We don't know how the bleeding stopped, but she's okay. 
They said she's not out of the woods yet. There's, you know, there's, there's some more complications, but they said she's stable and she's okay. She's alive. And she left kind of shaking her head like she had no medical explanation for what happened. And there probably was not a medical explanation for what happened. But I knew that me appealing to God, going to God with my worry, my concern, my anxiety, and all of these other people who were praying for Kimbra, we cried out to God and God heard us. And he answered our prayer. He turned the situation around. He's able to do that. He did this for David. He's done that for us. He did that for Kimbra so that I can stand before you today and proclaim this good news that Kimbra is here, glory is here, and God is good, and he is faithful, and he provides. Amen. We see that. And so as we've talked about, we, we should cry out to God. We know that he hears us. He's heard us from, we see from David that he hears us. I can testify that he's heard my prayers and answered them. So that's while we're waiting for God to do what only he can do. So what about for me and you when we're in that season of waiting, what part is on us? What do we do while we wait? Well, I want to direct your attention back to the scripture because our answer is found here. Psalm 40, verses 6 and 8. This will take us to our our third biblical truth we see here. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation is what he goes on to say. But he, here's what we see, our third biblical truth. Number three, as we wait for God, we should draw near to God with a heart of devotion. Number three, as we wait for God, we should draw near to God with a heart of devotion. David here, he talks about how God isn't requiring sacrifices and offerings, and David says he delights to do his will. And so as we're in this season of waiting, as you may be today, you're waiting for something, or you're in some season or time of trouble, what is your part? God wants you to come to him with a fully devoted heart. You know, in David's time, they would offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins to atone for the sins of the people. And they could do that pretty ritualistically, right? That could be done without a heart of devotion. You could just make sacrifices and move about your day. Well, the same is true of us today. You take things like coming to church, being a part of a community group, leading a community group, being a part of discipleship in a fight club, coming and volunteering and serving, giving financially to support the work of the church and the work of the kingdom. We can turn any of these things just into rituals. You can do all of those things totally connected from a heart for God, but that's not what God wants. God isn't asking for just sacrifice and to give of your time and to come to church and be in a community group or lead one or serve or give or volunteer. He wants your heart. He wants your devotion to him. Tony Evans says this in his commentary on Psalm 40. He says, David affirms that God prefers that we commit our lives to him rather than merely offering sacrifices to him. He submits himself to the scroll of God's word, which reveals God's will. David does not obey God begrudgingly. He does so willingly and with joy. Many people want personal guidance directly from the Lord, yet they skip the guidance available in his revealed word. You cannot be led in God's personal will for your life 
if you neglect his revealed will in Scripture. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You want to know how you get through this season of waiting? You turn to God, and you turn to his word, because in there is the fullness of joy and his wisdom beyond anything you could ever imagine. Turn to the word of God, and don't make it a ritual like a sacrifice. Let me check off the box. I read my Bible. I went to church. I went to community group. I gave. I served. No, come to God with all of your devotion. Recognize what he is recognizing what he has done for you in Christ. That's three. As we wait for God, we should draw near to God with a heart of devotion. So how do we respond when God shows up? You know, likely if we went through this room, each of us has some kind of story about how God has saved us, how God has protected us, how he's provided for us, how he's shown up in times of trouble. Amen. Is that you? We've, we've all got a story like that. And so when that happens, what do we do? How do we respond? I want to direct you back to the scripture for our fourth and final point, what we do when God shows up. Number four, this is in Psalm 40, verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Number four, our fourth and final biblical truth. What do we do when God shows up, when he provides, when he delivers? We should always be ready to tell others what God has done for us. Look at what God has provided for David. And God has been faithful to David. And now David is going to be faithful to God to proclaim God's goodness, to proclaim God's deliverance, God's protection, God's provision. He's shown up. And David says, God, you have shown up for me. And now I'm going to tell everybody in my church and people around me exactly what you have done. What about us? When God shows up for us, when he comes through for us, when he delivers for us, what do we do? Do we, like David, tell everyone around us? Do we share God's good news? Think about all the things we share with each other. People look for recommendations about, you know, where to eat or what movie to watch or what, what shows your kids should watch or activities for kids. You know, you go to Facebook and you're kind of crowdsourcing. Hey, does anybody have a good recommendation for fill in the blank? A good book, a good movie, a good place to go to church. Does anybody know anywhere good to go to church? Redeemer, absolutely. You come to Redeemer. That's where you go. We, you know, a good sale at Target, right? Like if I knew about a good sale or something at Target, would you want to know about that? Of course you would. We love Target. We love, we love that. We share all these kinds of things. But when it comes to God and how he's provided for us, sometimes we're tempted to keep silent, right? Because if we're honest, our culture, the culture we live in, it's not as cool to be a Christian and follow Jesus today. It's not as widely accepted. There's not a, as much tolerance as there used to be, Right? And so sometimes we just want to stay in our spiritual holy huddles, keep to ourselves, and not tell anybody. But that's not what David does, and that's not what God wants us to do. He wants to proclaim us to proclaim his goodness, his deliverance, what he's done for us to those around us. David says, I'm not going to be silent, God. You have shown up for me, and I'm going to tell somebody about it. It's tempting for us to be quiet. It was tempting for John and Peter in Acts chapter 4 to be quiet also. In Acts chapter 3, John and Peter are walking to the temple, and there's a man who was born crippled. He couldn't walk. He was almost 40 years old. He couldn't walk. He's asking for help. He's a beggar. He's looking for some money. Peter, Peter and John say, we don't have any money to give you, 
But what we do have to give you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he gets up and he walks. Well, this leads to great trouble in the area and they're arrested. A council brings them in and they say, you can't preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Stop healing people. Stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Don't do it anymore. And they say, well, if it is right for us to obey you rather than God, you've got to decide that. But as for us, we cannot stop teaching and preaching about what we have seen and what we have heard. And they went out to that place rejoicing. And the people said, we don't even know how to punish them because they keep preaching and teaching no matter what we do to them. And all the people are praising and all the people seen this. And we knew the guy who was healed. We knew that he couldn't walk. We see him walking now and we don't know how to stop him. But they weren't going to stop saying what God had done, what they had seen. So you're here today, and you're in some season of waiting. Maybe you've seen God show up for you, or maybe you're waiting for God to show up. How do we take this scripture and bring it into your living room, to my living room? Because as we hear the word of God proclaimed, what we want is not necessarily just a good sermon or a sermon to hear on Sunday. How does this impact you on Monday? Wednesday, Saturday, when you're going home, when you're at your place of business this week, if you're, if you're a student, as you're in school, what do we do with this? How do we bring it home? Well, maybe you're here and you're in some sort of trouble, or you're waiting. You're in a season of waiting. Maybe you need to cry out to God. That would be my encouragement to you. Maybe you've taken your troubles and your sorrows and your worries, and you've told everybody else about them, but you haven't brought it to God, and he's waiting to hear from you. I would encourage you from this scripture to go to God with whatever it is that's on your heart, your mind. Go to the Lord and cry out to him. But maybe you've done that and you're kind of skeptical. or Maybe you're wondering, does he really hear me? Will God really show up? Does he really provide? I want to encourage you again from scripture, from testimony of my own life. If you've cried out to God, God hears you. Maybe you're here and you've kind of been jumping through the hoops checking off the boxes. You've been living a life that's more ritual than devoted to God. Well, you can just take this time and go to the Lord as we have a time to respond here in a few minutes and just pray, God, would you reignite my heart for you, my passion? Lord, I've been coming to church. I read my Bible. I'm a part of my community group. I give, I serve, I volunteer. God, but I'm doing, I'm doing these things apart from a heart for you. Just pray to the Lord and ask him to give you a heart that's devoted to him. But maybe you're here, and I suspect this is most of us. This is certainly me. God has brought you through something. You've experienced God's deliverance in your life. You've experienced God's provision in your life. My encouragement to you, but first an encouragement to myself, is to go and tell somebody about it. Maybe you've got a, a friend or a family member, maybe an unbeliever, maybe skeptic, maybe atheist, maybe just kind of they don't know what they are. And they need to hear a word from God, how he's shown up for you. Tell somebody in the church about it. Tell a friend, tell a family member, a neighbor, a coworker. I would suspect that most of us have had God show up in big ways in our lives. And now our encouragement is to go out and to tell somebody about it. So are you here today and are you anxious? Are you waiting for something? If you are, you're in good company. Jesus Christ had some anxious moments. None, maybe more so. And keep in mind, Jesus, who is fully God, fully human, 
is anxious as he's about to go to the cross and he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He had some anxious moments. It was Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf. Asking God, God, if, it's, if you can take this cup from me, this cup of suffering, take it. But not my will, God, your will be done. Submitting to the will of the Father. And so Jesus Christ comes, lives a life that we couldn't live, dies a death that we deserve to die. He took our place in that. He became the perfect sacrifice. And now if you would place your faith in him and believe in him, Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved from overly, being overly anxious about these seasons of waiting, but mostly saved from the punishment that your sins deserve. And we're not just saved from an eternity separated from God. We are then given the righteousness that belong to Jesus. There's that great exchange that Jesus gets our sinfulness, our brokenness, our punishment, enduring not just death on a cross, but separation from God in that moment. Jesus endures that for us. And we get his righteousness, his good standing before the Lord so that when God looks at you now, if you are a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, that's what he sees, not your sinfulness. If you have by faith trusted in the Lord, he sees Jesus and his righteousness. You have received that. It's because of Jesus who first cried out to God that we can go to God now. It's because of Jesus who knew that his heavenly father heard his prayers that we can know and believe that God hears our prayers. And it is because of Jesus Christ who lived a life of perfect devotion to the Father that we can now have that as our goal and our example too. We don't want to just jump through hoops and have a mind for religious law keeping. We want a heart that's devoted to God and solely because of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, resurrection, and coming again, we can have that today. It's because Jesus spent his earthly life ministering to others, healing the sick, causing those who could not walk to be able to walk, giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to those who were deaf, breaking chains, setting prisoners free, and declaring that the Son of God had come to seek and to save the lost. Because Jesus did that first, we can now proclaim that good news to others. And may we, like David, as he closes this psalm, be able to say, great is the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, there are many people here today who are experiencing different seasons of waiting. God, you know our circumstances. God, it is you who hears us when we cry out. God, my prayer for us as your church, your people, is that we would cry out to you when we find ourselves in times of trouble, times of anxiousness. God, help us to believe that you hear us when we cry out. We see it from Scripture, God, and we've got our own personal testimonies to know that you hear us. But maybe there's somebody here today who's struggling to believe that. Would that person believe that you hear them when they cry out? God, as we're in times of waiting, help us to not be people who just check off boxes, who want to have religious rituals, but that we would draw near to you with a heart of devotion as we wait for you. 
God, help us to always be ready to tell others what you have done for us. God, we thank you for the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you brought him back to life, raised him on the third day. We thank you, Lord, for what that means for us, but God, help us not to keep these things to ourselves, but to be a people who are sent, people who go out, people who proclaim. God, never to draw attention to ourselves, always to point people to you. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, our Savior, and our Redeemer. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at RedeemerMidland.org.